Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if the truthiness even matters. Good evening. Thanks for joining me tonight. Um, you saw by the thumbnail of tonight's image, we're going to be talking about coffee, or as some people might want to call it, bean juice. Um, coffee is one of those things that I think uh, most whiskey people, most whiskey aficionados, are probably into as well. Uh, specifically, if you like drinking uh, neat whiskey, you probably like drinking black coffee as well. Uh, but before we get into that, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little pre-show work. Um, Something of note, Women of Whiskey will be going live at 10 o'clock. Uh, if you happen to hop over here, I suggest you go over there as well. So in about 30 minutes, and I should be wrapped by then, absolutely go over there. Uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Um, there's a really great episode from uh, the folks over at Bourbon Lens talking uh, with Horse Soldier Bourbon. Uh, it's a veteran-owned brand, obviously, and they've got some really interesting stuff to talk about. Um, go listen to that. Uh, obviously, you want to consume what they've got going on. It's it's good stuff over there. Um, we're hitting the season for allocated whiskeys. Um, some of you guys are probably searching out things. Um, I'm probably not. Uh, what I am excited about is I've already seen the initial messages for some of the first community batches for makers coming out again this year. Uh, it was an initiative they did last year to be able to raise some money for those folks that are in the service industries, specifically around food and beverage, uh, being able to provide money back to them um, to, to help out with you know any pandemic losses that occurred. If you see any of those floating around, uh, chase that down. Absolutely look into that. You know, Buy those bottles. And even if you're just a passing whiskey fan, if you can look over my shoulder over here, you can see there's a little bit of, of Maker's Mark already in place. Uh, sort of a, s a shelf staple, but um, supporting a great cause there. So absolutely go do that. Um, news. Let's think about news. Uh, MGP. Uh, this is old, but it's something that I came across this week reading articles. Um and I knew, you know, I'd read the initial articles on MGP making the change to Ross and Squibb. Didn't know what that meant. I wasn't exactly for sure what it was. Got some clarifying information on it from a series of different articles that exist out there. And so uh, for those of you that are concerned or want to know anything about it, um, Ross and Squibb is going to um, be realistically only referring to existing brands that are made by MGP for MGP. Um, so so any of the, you know, the George Remus and the Rossville Union, right? So some of those in-house brands are going to make that shift over to Ross and Squibb, whereas the things that they sell for third-party brands, it's going to remain unchanged, which largely doesn't super matter because a lot of the times the NDAs um, prohibit Every anyone from disclosing where that whiskey comes from. So, you know, neither here nor there, but 
it's you know it's an interesting twist, uh, something that they're doing, and they're obviously going to to try to rebrand for their own in-house stuff, uh, which is great to see. You know, they they make so much fantastic whiskey that everybody's making a lot of money off of. There's no reason they shouldn't have some house brands and have something a little bit more um, with a little more notoriety to it than just MGP, um, which you know carries a lot of things. It's it's got some. It's got some um, historical implications being the, you know, George Ross founded the Rossville Distillery, which is MGP's current campus, and then Squibb is the distillery that was owned by George Remus. Um, you know, there, there, there's some historicity inside the name itself, so um, just, just a little little fun stuff. Uh, Blue Run. Blue Run put out, put out a, a whiskey uh, last week, maybe. Um, and it's catching a lot of flack this week, which is what I've noticed. You know, they've, they've got some fantastic stuff in the bottle. And people who, you know, just drink it and don't think about it too much are really, really enjoying it. But uh, whiskey geeks are getting really upset because it's, you know, presumably four-year whiskey that's going for a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, the, a lot of people like to get upset and say, oh, they're overcharging. They're, you know, they're, they're charging premium, brand, or premium prices for something that's four years old. Um, but at the end of the day... It doesn't matter. It, 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 do you feel like you got what it will... If you took the, the age statement off of all whiskey and you pay $200 for the bottle uh, and you drink it and you like it and you think it's worth $200, it doesn't matter if it was 4-year, 7-year, 10-year, 12-year. Uh, I don't think so. And that's one of those things that we get wrapped up in is um, age statements. Oh, no, you know it's only 4 years old. Uh, I would warrant, and I'm echoing a sentiment that came from... Um, I think the guys over at uh, This Is My Bourbon Podcast, they were talking about, you know, what Wilderness Trail is doing with four-year whiskey is what some people's seven- or eight- or ten-year whiskey tastes like. So, um, And they could charge far more for what they're doing than, than what they already have. Um, so th- there's that. And then uh, I did stumble across this one, and this one was is one that I think a lot of people are going to be really skeptical about. So George Diggle and the Leopold brothers, Leopold, Leopold, whatever, are um, collaborating on an, a historically inspired rye blend. Um, and I don't think that you can find, you know, what we're specifically looking at is combining um, the three-chamber rye whiskey and um, anything from Dickel. And I don't think you can find two whiskeys on the market right now that catch more um, shade than those two particular things, uh, you know, as far as what's actually in the bottle. The, you know, a lot of people really dislike what Dickel is, uh, the minerality of it, and you get that Flintstone vitamins um, statement that comes from a lot of people. And then the three-chamber rye is, you know, hit and miss. There's people are really, really... Um, either on or off for it, because it's such a uniquely odd thing. Um, and I guess what the idea behind it is, is that Three Chamber Rye was a historical whiskey that was made, but it was often uh, blended with column still whiskey uh, to be able to kind of uh, tame it down a little bit, because it is very vegetal, it is very uh, floral, it is very much the things that most traditional bourbon and rye drinkers probably are not interested in. But if you put it in as a part of a blend with a column still type um, whiskey or bourbon, or even rye for that matter, it may uh, t- tame it down, not necessarily tame it down, may adjust it to where you start to get more um, 
recognizable flavor profiles and patterns for them. Um, so that that one's going to be an interesting one. I'm absolutely going to search that one out. Um, was really interested in Three Chamber Rye Whiskey. Just can't find one locally here in the far reaches of western Kentucky that is at a moderately reasonable price. I can find retailers, but I'm going to end up spending $300 to get it to my door. And uh, based off of the reviews that have happened with it, I'm not, uh, I don't think that's anything I can do. Tonight, I'm drinking a White Russian. It's absolutely not whiskey, but we'll talk about what's in it. Um, it's sort of a White Russian, I guess. Uh, didn't have any half and half or you know, any heavy cream or anything like that, so it's just straight milk and with this liqueur that I'm uh, drinking, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So we'll, we'll go on and start talking about um, bean juice or bean extraction or you know, coffee uh, is what we're really talking about. Um, uh, like I said earlier, I think coffee is one of those things that most whiskey geeks are in on. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it comes with its own set of gadgets, its own set of flavor profiles, its own set of, of nerdiness that we, you know, we as... as Beverage geeks really get off on, um, and it's and it's a place that I personally can connect with family members. Uh, I, on a couple of po- a couple of episodes back, I talked about an opportunity to take my dad to the Maker's Mark Distillery and dip his ambassador bottles. Um, you know, kind of exploring that whole gimmick. And my brother went with us. My brother's not a, a whiskey drinker at all. He he generally doesn't drink, um, but he is really into coffee. And so through the course of our trip, we were talking about. Um, you know, barrel-aged coffees, because that's a thing that exists. You know, Oak and Bond and uh, several other people are aging coffee beans, green coffee beans, in whiskey barrels in the interest of imparting some degree of flavor. And so um, while we were talking through it, you know, I said, well, hey, you know, in in the Maker's Mark gift shop, you have the ability to buy some of their... um, their their French oak staves, the things that they use in the Maker's 46. The staves are actually for sale in there. They use them for, for... smoking or grilling or, or any other thing like that. It's like, but being the crafty people we are, you might be able to make a box out of it. And, um, you know, he roasts his own beans already. So you might be able to take that, that wood and construct some type of an aging box to be able to put your green beans in and let them age in there and, you know, kind of have your own experiment. So we explored that for a few months and, you know, the, the first, experiment didn't go so well we just cra- you know he just crafted a box he stuck the beans in it let them age for a period of time open up smell them every so often and it just it never really um never really took off and so you know as he he came back to it you know he, he brings his he brings his roasted beans and we grind them up and we try them and i i can't t- tell a discernible difference between that and regular coffee so we talked about it a little more, and I said, you know, maybe maybe what we need to do is we need to, th- those staves are just pieces of wood. They've never had any whiskey interaction, so how are they going to pick up any flavors? So what we did next is I actually, you know, took several ounces of Maker's Mark, and I put them in a little two-ounce bottle with a spray tip on it, and I said, hey, you know, s- soak down your staves. Um, do that for, you know, a week. You know, spray them a couple times a day for a week, and then put your beans in it so we can actually get maybe that, you know, whiskey has been in this type of situation going on. So we did that, and we were met with some really great results. Um, and so that that timeline happened to coincide with this thing that I started seeing pop up on Instagram, and I got super excited about it. So there's this company now. There's this company called Staven Bean, and Staven Bean is the brainchild of John Waddell, the single barrel curator at uh, Kentucky Peerless Distilling. And so he's 
um, partnering with um, the quills in, in Louisville to do his roasting. He's getting green beans. He's putting them in these peerless barrels, which you know makes complete and utter sense because uh, the man spends his days working on doing single barrel selections from Peerless, which is one of, I think, my favorite uh, what would be considered craft distillers that exists right now. I like the story. I like how they operate. I like the 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 idea that they you know they weren't interested in trying to buy sourced whiskey and they you know just sort of made it happen over time. They've got a degree of historicity to them. They've got um, some great products as well. Uh, one of the best things that I've had recently is their double uh, their double barreled or double oaked. What is it called? Uh, yeah, the Peerless Double Oak whiskey. It's it's on the shelf over there. It's super fantastic. Um, so he obviously, I guess, is into to coffee as much. And so here's his ba- basic premise is that, you know, he, he we had, we've, had, you know, the, the market has identified that green unroasted beans are very, very porous. And you can um, put them in just about anything and they'll pick up aromas or flavors or whatever else. Um, and if you go out and you get top quality uh, coffee beans and you've got a source, a ready source, of empty barrels on hand, you can take those green beans, you can dump them inside these barrels, and then you can stick them back in the rickhouse with the whiskey that's aging, that, that you're trying to impart some of the flavor to. Um, and so the, I originally wanted to do this episode back in the summer, but I started seeing where you know he was getting closer and closer to launching this, and so I started holding this back a little farther and a little farther. And it was it was fortuitous that we did because I had the whiskey on hand already that I wanted to talk about for today's episode, um, and I knew I wanted some coffee beans that were aged in whiskey barrels. And then um, I picked up one other thing, which will be the next one we talk about. But I've tried other whiskey aged coffee beans, and they're it's almost like you're trying to make them taste like you're almost as good taking roasted beans and soaking them in whiskey and then making uh, coffee out of it. It's what it sort of came across. They were a little heavy handed for me. Um, so I was optimistic and I was super excited about it. I mean, if, if your job is to select single barrels and uh, help people select single barrels, you're going to have a high degree of, of concern over taste and, and nuance and flavors and subtleties. And so if you combine that with wanting to make a um, barrel-aged coffee bean, uh, you're not so much trying to hit somebody over the head with a hammer of whiskey. You're trying to add in the flavor of it. And so um, I was optimistic, but I waited until it came out and then waited until I got my first bag. And, you know, the first the first order was cautious. Let's you know get a bag here, see what it's like. And it was exactly what I was after. It was the hint of of, of whiskey in your coffee without, um, without feeling like you're trying to just tell everybody there's coffee there. It's not, it's not one of those things where some of the other coffee beans that I've had that have been aged in in whiskey barrels, I would be concerned drinking a cup of coffee made with those beans while I was at the office because I might be worried that my coworkers are thinking that I am drinking just straight whiskey in my cup, which, I mean, they know who I am, they know what I'm about, and that's still a distinct possibility. But if I'm doing it, I want to, you know, I I want to be able to enjoy my coffee without concerning over. It. Um, so it adds that nuanced whiskey flavor to it. He he has hand selected his beans. He absolutely knows the barrels. And he had the ability to taste them over time. And then he's partnered with Quills and 
uh, I don't have enough time to talk about quills specifically because they are um, pretty significant in the coffee industry in Louisville specifically, and they've grown into something somewhat more monolithic than that. But I think um, coffee is making the the trend or is mirroring the trend line that um, craft um, that that craft beer went through, and that um, whiskey has gone through. I think that coffee's making that transition as well. Where you know, if you go back uh, twenty years, twenty five years, uh, craft whiskey would be you know Sam Adams or something along that lines, and now we're to the point to where. Uh, most towns, even a small town like the one that I live in, has a micro distiller or micro brewery on site. They have the ability to produce their own beers, and they have the, the ability to, to to serve them to a local populace, which is fantastic, you know. But that took twenty twenty five years to happen, where you know started in metropolitan areas, and then it moved into you know urban areas, suburban areas, and then into rural areas. Um, I think coffee's heading that way as well, and I, I was watching a, a YouTube episode about a guy, there's a specific uh, couple that we follow that my wife and I watch pretty regularly. Um, they have a, a base in Central America where they're growing beans and they're selling them up here in the United States with the intent of you know, building sustainable communities and uh, making sure that uh, they're, doing, you know, they're doing sustainable practices but also um, fair trade practices. Uh, but they, they, they sort of share that sentiment that we're in a new you know third wave of of coffee where it started off with you know um, Folgers then it went to Starbucks now it's getting to your local shops but your local shops are getting more interested in not buying bulk beans they're buying beans from nearby roasters and getting as fresh as possible um, most places you can probably drive at least a couple of hours and find someone who has just recently roasted beans that you could have access to and, and be able to produce. So I think John has, John Waddell and his team over at Staven Bean has identified a very ripe market and they've created the appropriate product for it. Enough so that the, the um, thumbnail for this video is my second order from them. And, you know, I'm, I'm on day four or five consecutive of grinding and drinking this particular um offering it's super fantastic if you get an opportunity and uh, i'll put in the the show notes uh, links to the the brands that i'm talking about today but um obviously they're making some great stuff and he also has some more unique ages i think there's an orange curacao um and a, and a few other things so go, go check that out absolutely look into it they've got a great story they've got a great um a great head that is working towards things. Um, saw I saw John out at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which he has absolutely no no idea who I am. But thanks to you know social media, we all can kind of be voyeurs into other people's lives. Um, absolutely a hardworking individual, given everything he's got to Peerless, um, but he's found an extra gear to be able to put into his own um, his own offering. So. That's you know that's that's when we talk about bean juice. The the first round of it is the actual beans. Well, so the next thing I want to talk about, um, and it's a little whiskey adjacent, I guess. You know, both of these are what would be considered whiskey adjacent, is um, Mister Black coffee liqueur, and in the same time frame that I was sort of waiting around to pick up these Staven Bean beans, I stumbled across this particular company as a result of um, Jake. Uh, from Key in the Lake podcast, 
Um, he was doing some Australian whiskey stuff, you know, with the Star Wars. And I was listening to a podcast and he was talking to somebody else. It was talking about, you know, coffee liqueur, which, you know, coffee liqueur is one of those things that is not new. There's, there's absolutely nothing new to that to me. But um, the brand itself, Mr. Black, is doing something slightly unique to me and something interesting. Um, and specifically today's coffee liqueur that I made my white Russian out out of is um, coffee liqueur that was barrel rested in whistle pig casks, which is fantastic. Um, and and what I found whenever I kind of dug into Mr. Black and it's sort of the same story with um, with Star Wars is that they want to do everything locally. They want to do everything as as close to home as they possibly can. But whenever you want to age in a rye cask that is made in America, you obviously can't get there. But what was attractive to me about a coffee liqueur is as you get older, you start to um, you start to getting into this to this life of like questioning when you can drink coffee, like when you're physically capable of drinking coffee. Because if you drink coffee after you know two p.m., you're not going to go to bed until three a.m. or whatever. Uh, something <laughs> so this is this is a thing that I did we had this Ragnar relay race the bourbon chase that that I drove a van for uh, three or four weeks ago and the whole the whole situation for me was I was going to be driving effectively for 36 hours um, I would have a, you know two or three hours to sleep in the middle of that maybe catch a cat nap here or there but I was largely going to be awake which is is not the end of the world but whenever you're trying to drive in the middle of the night down dark side roads and not run over a jogger you want to be as alert as alert as possible, um, and so as I'm considering, like, how do I keep myself awake? I, I implemented this this idea of um, at about 3 p.m. at one of the exchanges um, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, there was a series of food trucks that were set up. There was a local coffee shop, and uh, the the food trucks that were set up. There was a um, a family that was selling tacos. It was a Mexican family that was selling tacos, and I am an absolute sucker for that. But usually, if it's you know three or four o'clock, I would say, hey, let's hold off on the raw onions because raw onions are going to create a significant amount of indigestion. It's just old people stuff. It's just what happens. But I realized that could actually be my ally. And so what I did is I got these 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 Mexican, authentic Mexican tacos and a cup of coffee. And between the caffeine after 3 p.m. and the raw onions, I had absolutely no problem staying awake um, as long as I possibly needed to. But the idea of a coffee liqueur, and specifically one that has been aged in a whiskey cask, um, gives me the ability, I think, gives me the ability to be able to craft a cocktail that has that coffee flavor that I can feel good about drinking late at night and not worry about whether I'm going to be able to fall asleep. Now, I know there's still some caffeine um, content in this, but there's also some alcohol content. So maybe they war with each other and we see who wins. Um, but more specifically about them. So Mr. Black uh, was founded in 2013. They... Um, they started off like a lot of brands do these days. They're they're a second act. They're a person who is deeply involved in some other type of industry, and you know, said so, you know, it's time for me to search my passion. I've done something successful somewhere else. I'm going to chase down a passion, and so um, Tom Baker and Philip Moore decided, hey, I really like coffee, but I want to do some other things as well. Um, 
So they, you know, they ran down the vein of coffee, they ran down the vein of coffee liqueur, and what they came up with is a great coffee liqueur as a base, but you don't know, you don't stop there, and they've got a handful of other um, aged things, but they said, hey, let's get some whistle pig barrels, let's get them sent to us, let's... um, put our beans in them, let them sit there, for, or not put our beans, sorry, put our coffee liqueur in it, let it sit there for like nine months, and then bottle it off. Um, what I also wonder is, is like, what happened to those whistle pig casks after the coffee liqueur was drained out of them? Were they sent back to whistle pig for you to put some rye in to get some coffee-aged rye? Because I'm absolutely here for that. So whistle pig, if that's what you guys are working on, please let me know. Uh, I absolutely want to know about this. I'm interested in it. I want to try it out. Um, and, and what comes out is absolutely what I want to, to see is, um, it's a little bit of whiskey, a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of delicious. Um, so if you get an opportunity, absolutely go chase these, these guys down, read about their story, um, be aware of the other things that they're doing as well that are, you know, in and around whiskey itself. Um, it's absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, and then the last, the last brand that I want to talk about today is um, Few, Few Whiskey, which is based out of a suburb just north of Chicago. You know, I've, I've seen them on the shelf here and there, never really paid a whole lot of attention because bourbon is absolutely a Kentucky thing, right? It can't be anybody else. Um, but whenever I started thinking about, oh, I want to do uh, an episode about um, coffee, but I want to do coffee with a whiskey spin on it, I started looking around at different brands that might have some sort of a coffee offering. And obviously you can come across um, Jameson's uh, Cold Brew, I think. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it is, but basically they're adding coffee flavoring into it. Um, there's a, there's some whiskeys that will put coffee beans in their whiskey and let it float around or whatever. Um, and, and none of that seemed interesting to me. And so I, I started poking around and looking into what few actually was and this is where you start learning about this is where I started learning about um, this this distillery that's in Evanston which um, can claim a pretty significant um, role in whiskey distillation in prohibition and in um trying to revitalize the, the, the whiskey industry around there. Um, the, the distillery itself um, is making what a lot of people consider to be some very good, good whiskey. Um, you know, bourbon and rye, and they like this, uh, this phrase of a bold Chicago-style twist. And I don't necessarily know what that means, but I was specifically looking for something coffee related, you know, and so I come across this few cold cut, um, few cold cut was an experiment. Um, it, they're taking their whiskey and pulling it out of the cask. And when they decide to proof it down, they decide they're going to use cold brew coffee instead of water to proof down the whiskey. Um, you know, and, and the hope is that they're going to get some cinnamon and clove notes or dark, rich, roasted notes or, you know, something else. They're going to get some sort of uh, um, distinct, unique flavoring profile to the whiskey based off of cutting it with with coffee, which 
I think they absolutely do. I think that if you were a non-whiskey drinker drinking it, you might not be able to tell any difference. But if you drink enough whiskey, you come back to this one, you can, you can, uh, I don't know that it's a direct flavor as much as it is a feel. There's, there's some connection that exists that you can understand if you are a coffee person and a whiskey person, you're going to be able to connect the dots on it. Otherwise, it's it's still just an all-around great whiskey. Uh, it's 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 sweet, it's delicious, it's caramel, it's all of the things that you expect a bourbon to be. Um, but there's some darkness that sort of exists to it that that makes it great, or at least it does to me. Um, it was something that was different than what a lot of the other um, whiskey companies are trying to do to be able to make a coffee-based whiskey and just kind of claim a piece of that coffee market. Um, uh, you know, like I said, Jameson is, is adding um, cold brew coffee flavoring to be able to get theirs in there instead of actually putting in um, any type of coffee. A lot of the other uh, whiskey coffee combos are using a lot of cane sugar or agave syrup or some other thing to sweeten it. And realistically, if you're using bourbon as the base for it, you're already sweet enough. There's no need to do any of those things. Um, so what you come out with is still a, a super fantastic whiskey that um, every coffee aficionado can appreciate. If you get an opportunity, pick a bottle of it up. Like I said, I'll, I'll put some some links in the show notes here. Um, but that's where we're sitting for the night. I've got some whiskey-aged coffee beans. I've got a liqueur, a coffee liqueur that was aged in whiskey barrels. And I've got some bourbon that was cut with cold brew coffee, which is, I think, all you know, very unique spins on whiskey in and of itself. Um, they're all distinctly good in their own rights. They're not um, a gimmick with an intent. I guess maybe they are a gimmick. You, I think that term gets a lot of um, negative connotation to it. So I'm going to do a thing here that I usually don't do. I'm actually look up the definition of it. Um, because I think that we have this negative connotation that comes along with gimmick. Um, but kind of like right off the, the bat, a gimmick is a novel idea or, or device designed primarily, primarily to attract attention or increase appeal. Um, and there's this comma that says, often with little intrinsic value. And I think that's the difference. I think if we take the first two-thirds of that sentence, every one of these is a gimmick. It's a novel or idea that is trying to attract attention to trying to differentiate themselves in the marketplace um, where it separates from this particular definition of, of gimmick is that there is an intrinsic value to it. There is some good value to it. These are distinctly good in their own right. And so, um, you know, some of the other things is a trick or a device intended to attract attention, publicity or business. Absolutely. It's all of those things. And, and there's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame. They're trying to draw attention to the thing that they're making that is distinctly good. And that's what everyone in the industry is doing. But the problem is, is that they're in a, you know, a, a, I don't want to say a crowded marketplace because the, the number of coffee whiskeys out there is not huge. The number of coffee liqueurs probably is. And so you have to maintain some bespokeness, some degree of uniqueness that's going to make you stand out on the shelf because... 
there's 15 different generic versions of coffee liqueur. Why do I pay more for this other thing? Well, because it's aged in rye barrels or it's aged in some other type of barrels. It's, it's got some kind of unique flavoring to it or just genuinely has a great look to it. It'll look fine sitting on my shelf with the other bottles. Um, because I think if you go to most people's houses that have a bar set up and maybe it's only half a dozen or a dozen bottles, um, but it's unique things to be able to craft cocktails, um, your generic liqueurs or mixer type things always get hidden in the back but a thing like Mr. Black absolutely does not have to it's a it's a fantastic looking bottle it's a fantastic product that matches the bottle it can shine without any other addition drinking it straight is like having a very sweet and somewhat boozy espresso drink but it also you know I just have a little bit of milk and it's fantastic um the, the, you know, kind of the same thing for, for few. You know, they they've they've found a way to make great bourbon. They don't have to make this cold cut version. They make it because it's good, because it is uh, something that can compete inside of that marketplace. And then, John Waddell, what he's doing with Staving Bean, um, I don't know that anybody else is doing anything any better in that particular marketplace. So, Fire Sean, absolutely. I'm trying to figure out. Here we go. See, I've never been able to. I'm glad you're here, Zachary Jones. Thanks for showing up. Um, I'm pinning your comment because I want to see it pop up on the screen. I've, I've never done that before, but um, absolutely want to fire Sean. Um, I think, did you get in on the um, the advent, the, the advent calendar for the Bourbon Junkies? Um, I, I hope you did. Uh, if if you did not, that's that's a shame, but I'll have to share with you another time what I actually put on my bottle that I sent over to them. Um, I think they'll be interested to experience what I've got for them. So, um, but thanks for showing up. Um, I'm right at the trail end of this. I don't have a whole lot more to say. Um, I'm going to wrap, unless you got something interesting that I need to talk about or whatever so appreciate you being here absolutely hop back and watch it from the beginning if you want to or if you don't want to share it with somebody or don't share it with somebody uh like i said early early on whiskey women is going live or should have already gone live um let me go look women of whiskeys is live right now they've got 26 folks over there so if you're here you probably should be there because it's going to be a far better stream. Uh, go take care of that, and uh, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.